Welcome to Stories with Soul. I am your host, Jamie Ice, musician turned entrepreneur and co-founder of 6th Ave Homes and 6th Ave Storytelling. Over the past 10 years, I have launched multiple successful businesses and have become obsessed with all things entrepreneurship and marketing. I've been on a personal quest to unpack what it takes to make and grow a great brand. One thing that I've discovered is that stories are powerful and that storytelling has the power to set a brand apart. Join me as I dive into the stories of the heavy-hitting leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and business owners in our community to hear their biggest wins, greatest losses, and their best business secrets. There's a story behind every great brand. Welcome to Stories with Soul. Stories with Soul is brought to you by 6th Ave Storytelling, an organic marketing company building standout brands on the foundation of story. We help small businesses grow by crafting and sharing their stories because when small business thrives, cities and communities prosper. Stories with Soul is brought to you by the Fort Worth Business Press, your source for news and business information in and around Fort Worth. Sign up for the Business Press's twice-daily newsletter or become an insider using the storytelling coupon code STORYTELLING10, all one word, to stay up to date with the people, companies, and issues that matter most to Fort Worth. Head to fortworthbusiness.com to subscribe. I am a huge fan of the Business Press. I've been a subscriber for years. It keeps me up to date with everything that is going on in Fort Worth. Love it. Go subscribe for the newsletter. You won't regret it. Welcome to Stories with Soul. I am your host, Jamie Ice. I'm joined by my co-host, Jimmy Williams. And we have a very special guest in the house today, one of my favorite people, Fritz Rahr, who I would argue is is the king of craft beer in Fort Worth. You introduced craft beer to our city. When I think of our city's beer, I think of RAR, but you are the, the CEO and the founder of RAR and Sons Brewing Company. You're, you're a fifth generation brewer. You come from correct. a family yeah, of correct. brewers. Yeah. And, and, and RAR, not only do I feel like you're an institution in Fort Worth, but, but you guys have won like an insane amount of awards across the country just because you're making great stuff. How many, I asked you this earlier, but I'm going to put you on the spot again now. How many awards have you guys won and what, what kind of awards has I, I really, I, I can't tell you how many because there's been a lot. So many. You know, there, like, there's, there's, there's a lot of beer competitions around. More, more than so 10, we, 20? you know, so, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> add a, add a, maybe add a few zeros to it. I don't know. Really? There's so many beer competitions and it's fun to enter them, especially yeah. for the brewers and the production people and all the employees of the company, but really for the, for the guys and gals who make package and, and baby the beer along, along the way. Yeah. So if you win something, it's kind of like bragging rights. You got a little, you know, you got a little extra step in your step. And so it's, it's always fun. Um, but there are about four really big beer competitions that we try to do really well at, and it's very difficult. Just placing, uh, you know, bronze, silver, or gold, any of those three is a huge win for the brewery. So those are, in my opinion, our Great American Beer Festival, which yeah. happens every year up in Denver, and then there's the World Beer Cup, and that happens every other year. So that's global. World Beer Cup is global. That's like the World Cup of beer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. World Beer Cup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there are two over in, in Europe that we really like to participate in. And one, especially for us being kind of a German 
heritage. style heritage type brewery is the Euro uh, Beer Star Award, and that's held in Nuremberg every year for three years, and then on a fourth year they do it in Munich during the Oktoberfest. Mm-hmm. And for us, entering a German style beer and winning gold, silver. Or bronze over there. You won gold. Is amazing. Yeah, we've won numerous ones at the Euro Beer Star. And what's a, fun? A Fort Worth, Texas brewery. We've won. We've won with Oktoberfest. We've won with a <laughs> with with Regulator, okay. which is a German style Doppelbach, and our German wheat beer. We actually tied. I, I think for silver, maybe, or maybe it was gold. I can't remember. For our wheat beer, our, our what we call hazy hefe now, okay. with uh, Vine Stuff on Vine Stuff uh, Bavarian style wheat beer. So when we win these things, I will actually literally get on a plane, go over and attend the the ceremony because it's just such a hoot. Are the to Germans, be an American, uh, dude, to be an American be so there, placing, <laughs> maybe kind of. I think I get oh, away with it. Be. I get away with it because when they announce the award, they say Frederick Rar. Uh-huh. So they're expecting some German, German dude to get up, right? Yeah. And, but then they say Rar and Sons Brewery, Fort Worth, Texas, United States, and you could just yeah, hear yeah. all these ah. these stubborn, <laughs> you know. Germans going, you know, yeah. you could just you could just feel the tension, and I just, you know, you just strut up to the front and accept the award and take your picture, and you could just you could feel it in the air. It's so much fun, um, and they think it's fun too, obviously. Yeah. But there's there's a lot of home home field advantage, home field turf when when talking about brewing German style beers and winning in that category over there. They also have like. The American style IPA category and all that stuff, but you know, so you're being in, a you're, being an American, you should territory. you should win in that category over there, right? Yeah, yeah you know, sure. that's kind of our bailiwick. So when you can go over there and actually pull one of the medals out in that's a German cool. style category is so much fun. Um, I just giggle. I really do. It's just so much fun, and we try to take as many people over as we can, and yeah. and do that. And of course, as part of uh, their big, the world's largest trade show for beer, it's called Brau mm-hmm. in Nuremberg. Um, they've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of square feet of trade show going on. So it's intermingled with that. So it's kind of a business trip as well. We'll go over there and we'll spend an extra week and go through Belgium or Netherlands or through Germany or maybe all through working our way back down to Nuremberg or Munich and visit a whole bunch of different breweries uh, for the experience and to talk to their brewers as an educational type type adventure for everybody. So um, every time that we get a chance to place at, at that one is really great. And then the other one is the Brussels uh, World Beer Challenge. Um, and y'all have won that too. We've won that one too, quite quite a few times too, in like different in US, different in different USA categories. Chan. Like a U. <laughs> we need that right so, now. So <laughs> it's just it's so much fun and to yeah. be able to go over there and do that. What about you, the World Cup? What about the World Cup? Have you, that's what he said. The World Cup. No, no. The no, world no. the the World Beer Cup is held. Um, Every other year here in in, in the United States. Yeah. And we've won a few times at that one, too. Okay. Fort Worth, Texas. Craft beer is crushing other the countries. World. The world. <laughs> not, in, not other states. Like, like yeah, not other countries. states, not the city. <laughs> I, I tell you what, and Texas in general, from the craft beer, they do really, really well at a lot of these competitions. There's a lot of good beer being made in the state. And I'm really proud to say that. Yeah. You know. That's so awesome. all you 
you know, hipster beer makers out there, you're in the right spot. You don't need to go yeah. to Denver to brew your beer. I will you also to- say, to add to your collection, you win the podcast guest award because oh. you're the first person to ever bring us treats and 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 stuff well, to beer. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I got to ask a question. Am I the first br- first brewer on the podcast? You yes. are the first brewer on the podcast, but you're the first person I, to bring us. To I need to open one. So if, yeah, if, if, if well, you're watching, you can see this, but there's like this It is Oktoberfest season. So. Case. And then, so we're going to crack some open right now. I'm, I am in an Enneagram 7, so I like can't ever make up my mind. So I'm going to drink the Well, raw. you should just open up multiple and just sip from various cans. Oh, this is a chelada? Yeah. I didn't know you were doing a chelada. Sure. Oh, that's fun. I, I am grabbing a winter warmer. I got a winter warmer. That's, that's like the best of beer. all time, man. It's so good. <laughs> Ever. Do you, you, you don't, you, is this like, do you have like a favorite or you just go through them all? You know, it's Season. funny. I used to have a joke. Um, Ooh, that's tasty. Here we go. Because we brew so many different beers and people always ask me, you know, what's your favorite beer that you make? Yeah. And I always joke. Probably and I said, <laughs> you know, that's really a tough question. I can tell you which one of my sons I like better, but not which <laughs> beer I like better. And, you know, it, it brings a giggle just like that and of course that's not true because i love my boys both equally but you know it really depends on on what i'm in the mood for you know like right now i just kind of wanted that that biscuity bready warmth that comes through with the Oktoberfest because it's it's getting a little chilly outside so a little bit darker beer just feels right um but you know it could be 100 freaking degrees tomorrow and i'll I'll p- crack open a blonde or adios or Rar's original. Do you and down get, that? Do you ever get beard out? Where you're like, I've drank so much beer, I need like. <laughs> you know, it's funny <laughs> at, at my accelerated age that I'm at. <laughs> um, it gets harder and harder to drink the amount of beer that you know you'd used to drink when I was yeah. in my 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work as well. I can't day drink anymore uh-huh. because, like right now, if I had more than this. I would have to go back to the brewery, take a nap, take a nap, go home, take a nap, <laughs> and I may not wake. I may not wake up until tomorrow morning. <laughs> I'm horrible. I'm a, I'm a cheap date. Yeah. Um, so. And uh, you, you also like last time I saw you, you were talking about you were, you had just made some like white wine. We're my my it's wife like fun. My thing. wife Tara and I were, you know, it's funny. They say vintners go home drink beer, uh-huh. and brewers go home and drink wine. And to be honest, that's. I wouldn't say it's 100% true all the time, yeah. but I probably drink <laughs> more wine at home than I do drinking beer at home. Just because I'm around it all day. Yeah. I'm around it all day long. I'm sipping on it. Not all day long, but here and there during yeah. the day. You got to taste it. And taste uh, making wine is just something a little bit different. It's fun. It's something that Tara and I can share together. And will there ever be a commercial release, or this is just? Well, it's called TNF Vineyards. Oh yeah. And oh yeah, we have <laughs> we have we have, we have labels it. and 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 everything. So that is it's it's fun. Yeah, we we bottle and label our own wine, and we have two big wine closets in the house filled with our wine. And if that doesn't scream and, uh, entrepreneur, I don't know. What does? <laughs> we always joked about. Well, you know, if the beer thing doesn't work, maybe we can make wine. Yeah, <laughs> the beer, the beer thing is working. Okay, so, so <laughs> let's get let's get to our podcast. This is the longest intro I've ever done. It's yeah, but th- this is really good. Okay, the thing I, I was reading your bio, and I I knew like your family was somehow in the beer industry somehow. So, but we're talking. Wait, hold on. Let me pull my notes back up. 
fifth fifth generation. <laughs> what you sent me is your family has been brewing beer in the United States for 170 years. Well, I think it's 100, almost 170, well, 1847 to now. So is that 170, 174? Yeah. Wow. 174 years. Yeah, that's okay. a long time. Tell us about that. So, you know... When all the free-thinking Germans were being pushed out of Europe mm-hmm. during the middle 1800s, and they all came, they all went to Texas, or they went to Wisconsin, or into Minnesota. Um, my family entered the United States. My great great grandfather came over with his wife, and went uh, landed really in Buffalo, New York area, and then went through the Great Lakes chain, and ended up in this little lake side town called Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Okay. It's really funny because years ago when I told Manitowoc, Wisconsin, nobody knew where the hell that was, right? I still don't know where that Okay, is. well, a lot of people know now because <laughs> of the TV show Making a Murder. Oh, oh that's right. That's right. So okay. now when I say Manitowoc, they're like, oh, we know where that okay, is. Okay. So 1847, they set up shop in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Uh, wasn't another brewery around. There wasn't another malting facility to make malt for beer around. So they decided um, to open up the brewery, mm-hmm. but they also had to make their own malt because there wasn't a malt supply. So from 1847 up until... Uh, the early 1880s, um, my great-great-grandfather had a brewery and a malting facility. And at that time, it was known as the Eagle Brewery. So before Budweiser, before anybody else, there was the Eagle Brewery in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, wow. also known Pre- as... Predating Budweiser. Yeah, also known as the Rar Brewery. Um, in 1880, my... Uh, I think it was 1880, I'm pretty sure, that my great-great-grandfather had a very unfortunate accident and actually fell into a brew kettle. <laughs> he laughs. laughs. He, he died. I, I mean, mean, come I on. Just You're like, laughing. At I'm, I'm laughing because it's just so, like, that's crazy. It is crazy. Like, and I tell the story, and, of course, everybody giggles, and then when they realize that I'm actually like, being serious, no, they I, feel really, really bad. I, so I, I'm waiting for the the, the waiting like, the waiting for the bad part to come out here. It's ironic laughter. I'm, it, picture, so, I'm picturing okay. that scene in Willy Wonka. Where he falls in when the kid falls in the chocolate <laughs> yeah. river. I mean, that's that's yes, that's what I'm like. It's kind of like it that. Is uh, incredibly unfortunate, but it that, is it's unfortunate. Just so ironic. So, like, so, so from that, he had three sons. He had uh, William the second. He had Maximilian and Reinhardt. Okay, um, Reinhardt was so, the first name. Reinhardt was his first name. Yeah, Reinhardt was what his first name. Great name. Yeah, like Reinhardt Rar. Isn't that a great a, name? That's yeah. a great name. Germans have some really cool yeah. names. Yeah. This episode of Stories with Soul is brought to you by Sixth Ave Storytelling. At Sixth Ave Storytelling, we know that stories aren't just for bedtime; they're powerful marketing tools, and we've seen what they can do. You want to see for yourself? Download our free PDF, The Storytelling Pathway on our website, sixavstorytelling.com. It's everything your business needs to be successful. This is what I've used to grow my businesses and hundreds of others. It's a strategy that has led to number one albums, built large followings, and has helped generate millions of dollars in revenue, thousands of leads, and tons and tons of traffic. I've seen client after client reach their goals, which is why I'm crazy excited to share it with you today. I'm offering this for free because it's my personal mission to support small business owners and entrepreneurs no matter where they are at on their journey. 
because small businesses are the heartbeat of a city and they really are what make it special. Sixth Avenue Storytelling has helped brands across the country grow their business using these exact steps. Head to sixthavstorytelling.com and download the Storytelling Pathway to get your step-by-step guide today. Stories with Soul is brought to you by Fort Worth Business Press. The Fort Worth Business Press has been instrumental for me as a business owner. They were actually the first publication to ever cover Sixth Avenue Homes and also Sixth Avenue Storytelling, which were huge, huge wins for our companies. I also have been following along for years. I've been a subscriber. It has allowed me to keep up to date with everything that is happening in the business community and see what other business owners are doing and just stay involved in all sort of the economic development of what is happening in Fort Worth. If you are in any way involved in business, you should go subscribe and sign up for their publication, uh, sign up for their twice daily newsletter. And, and, and they're actually offering a storytelling discount right now. If you listen to the podcast, become an insider using the storytelling code storytelling 10, all one word, lowercase, to stay up to date with the people and companies and issues that matter most. Visit fortworthbusinesspress.com to sign up today. Anyway, so the three boys renamed the company to the William Rahr Sons Company in honor of, of their father. And later on in that decade, there was a big fire and it destroyed the entire brewery. And the entire town kind of came back and helped rebuild it because that factory was the main employment for a lot of the town. Wow. So it was very much a community effort. Uh, They were very much involved with the community. My great, great grandmother was a teacher. She taught uh, German. She taught English. Uh, She helped out the the Native American uh, families around there, teaching them how to, you know, speak, speak English and, and some other things. Very involved in the community. And, and then prohibition. That's okay. right. But they were smart Germans. Okay. Like we all of our Germans, we were all smart Germans, okay. right? Yeah. And they, they saw prohibition coming. Um, so they got out of the brewing aspect of the business altogether. Mm-hmm. Now, by this time, we had the main facility in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, which had the brewery and the malting facility, but we also had two more malting facilities, one in Chicago and one in, Mo- in Milwaukee. Okay. Uh, my great, great... Making malt. Making malt, specifically the- just as a secondary business. So our secondary business kind of became our first... Primary. Primary business, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, you can't make beer. And during this whole process, my great great-grandfather's nephews came over and worked at the Manitowoc facility, and then they left and opened up their own breweries in Green Bay and Oshkosh. So by the turn of the century, we had three breweries in Wisconsin and three or four malting facilities as well in Wisconsin. So Prohibition came. My immediate family sold off all the brewery equipment and just maintained making malt. And when Prohibition hit... They could still make malt. They could still sell it into Canada. Sure. They were selling malt to people like General Mills, Pillsbury, okay. for cereal products. Mm-hmm. Um, they were making malt coffee. Okay. Um, for example, during World War One, um, kind of funny. They actually had to get a patent approved and buy rights from the Prussian or Bavarian or German government at that time to make the the malt coffee that we were that we were producing for the troops 
to go be used in World War One while they're fighting the Germans. It's just it's wow, so convoluted. Crazy. It's so weird. So now question. Is there any side stories of some bootleg type operations going on with them? Surely like, there was hey, some bootleg. Like, oh, I'm sure I'm there like, was. I, yeah. I personally, I, I, I don't know of. I wish I did have some mm-hmm. juicy stories like we're that. We're going to pretend but like they were secretly making awesome beer the whole time, hooking up their friends and family and stuff. I, I would like, I'd like, to, I'd like to think there were yeah. because yeah. in the part of Wisconsin that the family was, all the gangsters and from that period, they were oh. all going up to northern Wisconsin to hang out. Yeah. You know, one of the places up by, we have a, a family, small family cabin up north, northern Wisconsin. It's right by Little Bohemia, where John Dillinger and his gang got, you know, nailed by, yeah. the, by the feds. You probably saw Public Enemy, the movie yeah. with Johnny Depp. Yeah. So that's right up there. So they were all up there. So I would imagine at some point in time during that period, there was some malt that found its way to distillers yeah. making some moonshine or something yeah. else. What, but, but you know. What I'm hearing is that. John Dillinger was drinking some RAR whenever he. Uh, <laughs> yeah. he, was, he well, was wouldn't that be something if that, I could find yeah. a picture of something and see a bottle of RAR beer? That would be incredible. Yeah, the okay. bullet hole right through the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool. So, prohibition came and went, and then after prohibition, we didn't have the brewing equipment anymore. That's right. But we still had all the malting equipment. So during prohibition, we were making malt and also grain handling. Uh, you know, wheat, flour, all that type of all, all that type of stuff. So after prohibition, they just went back into making malt for beer, and that's when the name of the company turned to uh, Raw Malting Company, mm-hmm. and that's what we've been doing ever since. I'm a fifth generation brewer, maltster. So your dad was your dad in the? In My dad the- was in the family business. Uh, he was a maltster, and uh, so you grew up in in Wisconsin. I grew up in Minneapolis. Minneapolis. So in the in the sixties. The the barley crop and farming of of barley kept moving further and further west because corn subsidies were taking over, and all that planting area was being taken over by corn. Okay. So back then, being closer to to the supply lowered your costs. Yeah. So we still had the malting facility in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, but they built one in the Minneapolis area as well to get closer to uh, the malt that was or the barley that was being produced in the Red River Valley over by North Dakota. And but now it doesn't matter. The barley comes from all over the place now. And are those are those plants still in like in, yeah in the in the nineteen I, I want to say gosh was it nineteen eighties we sold the Manitowoc facility to Anheuser Busch. Wow. Um, they operated it for years and years. That's they crazy. they shut it down, and then um, the Brees family bought the Manitowoc facility and they've reopened it and and they are making malt out of that facility again. Okay. So but we have our place my family has their place in, in Minneapolis and they also have a malting facility up in Alex, Alberta. And that family business, the RAR malting family business, has has expanded quite a bit uh globally. Really? To uh providing craft brewers with hops and uh Brewing supplies and malt, and so I'm assuming your you, your stuff comes from there. We we buy a lot of our stuff through a company called Brewer Supply Group, which is a subsidiary of RAR Corp. Wow! But the family business has actually expanded. They they own a small tomato growing operation. Really? Uh, they own some distribution. Um, in, in Europe and a distribution company in New Zealand and it's really kind of fun it's really a global a global operation now 
Wow. So, so it, it's, it, it expanded. it's, you know, growing up and, and it's still and, in the family. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm 99.99% positive, but we're the, the family business is the oldest privately owned company in the nation still held within the immediate same family. No way. That yeah. is wild. It's crazy. Were you supposed to do that? Yeah. Like, were you supposed to go back and work for, you know, it's, 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 it's weird. Um, at some point in time, I think I wanted to, but I came down to TCU, mm-hmm. uh, as a, as a student athlete at TCU. You, wait, wait, wait. I'll, I'll tell you, but you can't roll around on the ground laughing. You can laugh, but you just can't <laughs> really get hysterical. Yeah. Believe it or not, about a hundred pounds ago, yeah. uh-huh. this body flew through the water. Oh, I, I knew that. You swimmer. told me you were I was a swimmer, swimmer at TCU. I forgot um, that. Yeah. So Think you... of me a little bit, a little bit smaller. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I came back for my master's too after I went to brewing school in Chicago, and somehow I got railroaded into the railroad business for about ten years. So and was that like a, you know, like whenever you're you grow up and your dad and your granddad are you know, I don't know blacksmith and you're like you know what I'm going to do anything but being a blacksmith you know it was it was it like a rebellious type of like you know what i want to do my own thing make my own stamp on the world for a little bit i think maybe a little bit okay mm-hmm. but i always loved the industry yeah i mean don't get me wrong growing up in the beer industry was awesome was it fun my family vacations a lot of them were going to beer conventions okay yeah and so i got to go to a lot of really cool places around the around the world around the united states mm-hmm. and as i became a young teenager they became a lot of fun because <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. there was just nothing and... but flea, free flowing beer everywhere. Uh-huh. And I think by the time I got to my mid teens, my parents were kind of like, you know, it's probably probably is not the best thing to bring <laughs> the kids. He's just having too much fun. And I was into swimming and I just, I, you know, didn't go there a lot. So, uh-huh. but yeah, growing up in the beer industry was great. I'd go down to the factory and get to walk around. I got to meet some of the, some of the really, at that time, what I would consider the really cool people in, in brewing, the Bushes, a lot of the Millers, you know, all those people, uh-huh. a lot of the, the big super regionals in the time and then around the Minneapolis area, like Shell's Brewery, the Martys were a, an amazing family mm-hmm. up there in New Ulm, Minnesota. And yeah, it was a pretty cool thing to grow up in. Yeah. I could think of a lot worse industries And so you, reali- you in. realized it was cool at the time? Yeah, I did. Okay, that's Because neat. all my friends were like, oh, you know, Geeking out can you can bit. you get me beer? I go, <laughs> oh, yeah. I go. Can't get you beer. I can get you a bag of malt. Yeah, we don't That's make right. beer anymore, but I can get you some barley malt. Uh-huh. It tastes really good. It's yeah. yummy, you know. Yeah. So yeah, growing up, it, it was just really awesome. So, do you do you remember when you you had your first beer? Like I, I still, oh I do absolutely. I remember the first time my dad like gave me a sip of beer. I was I was probably seven or eight. Yeah. And my parents were having a, a summer party at the house yeah. with friends and stuff. And I think I went and I got a Coke out of the cooler. Mm-hmm. And my dad came over and jerked that Coke out of my hand and put a Budweiser in my hand. He said, <laughs> if you're going to drink anything, at least drink something that has some nutritional value. Oh, that was great. awesome. That's and I think I, got, I think I got a third of the way through the can and I was like, uh, <laughs> I'm done. I think I went and took a nap. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think well, my mother appreciated your seven that. Your self and your your now self are about in the same beer drinking. You know. Oh yeah, it's horrible. I have I have one maybe yeah. one and a half beers, yeah. and I'm like, 
lights out. Man. No, it wasn't is... like when I was I wasn't drinking beer all the time. Yeah, but, of course. You know, occasionally right. at the dinner table, my dad would pour, you know, like a shot glass of 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 Budweiser or Miller or something just to just just experience and yeah i feel like it wasn't an experience it was just part of the kind of the the daily routine you yeah, know but it's an Ameri- and it wasn't such a big deal it's yeah. an american thing that we have done in recent history where where you know kids granted i don't think kids should go drink lots of beer but in in other cultures like you would have a glass of wine or it'd be watered down or you'd like taste things you know we have yeah so i think that that, that was and it was oh, yeah, it's crazy you go over to you go over to europe you, if yeah. if you are lucky enough to be able to sit down with a local family for dinner or something. You know, they've got table wine, which is, yeah. you know, an 8% alcohol product. Yep. Or they have the beer. And really, beer is part of the daily diet, even yeah. for not small kids, but, you know. Yeah. Teenage. Young teenagers. Yeah. I mean, it's just they don't sit there and they gobble it all down. They'll have a glass of yeah. beer with their thing because, you know, sometimes water is not always so available. And it's, you know, it's not like a lot of places you can just drink it out of the you tap. You couldn't drink water. So you had to drink wine. You had to drink Yeah, you drink something else. Yeah. So I was I was fortunate to be exposed to a lot of that. So by the time I did get to my high school days and everyone's like planning the secret party somewhere, I'm just kind of going... Like I've been around this. I don't know. Why don't you guys yeah. just come over to my house? My parents will give you a beer. You know. Just, yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> whatever. right. So you, so you came. You came to Texas. Came to Texas for swimming. Um, fell in love with Texas, and again, railroad business. So I've been very, very fortunate. What were you doing in the railroad business? I was in. I was in right. marketing and sales, actually. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was so a lot probably, of fun. So you probably learned some business and sales and marketing stuff in railroad. That was probably somewhat helpful. Oh yeah. Yeah, very, very, very much so. You know, you can learn all you want in school and college, and mm-hmm. I went back up my MBA too. But there's nothing like real life experience. Yeah, okay. you know, a lot of people think they have to go to college, and I think yeah. that's great if they want to. Yeah, but if they have the the mindset, you know, y- you learn a lot of things in college, but a lot of the things in the real business world is really what I would consider common sense. Mm-hmm. You know, treat people well, be honest, have integrity, you know, make sure your customers are happy type of thing. I mean, these are all common sense things, right? Yeah. So, But they're not know, always common. You say yeah. common sense. Well, maybe maybe to me they are. I don't, I don't know. But uh, so I've been very fortunate. I've, I've been able to, over my career, I've really... I've been able to play with trains, and now I get to play with <laughs> beer. Yeah. And beer. Trains and beer. Just hopefully not at the same time, <laughs> yeah. right? That's right. Yeah. So it's been a lot of fun. It's but been so, a great career. But when when did you say? So obviously, it's in your blood, like literally in your blood. When were you? When did you say I want to open up my own? Uh, I'll tell you. Thing. I'll tell you a quick story. Okay. You know, I, I was in the. You know, I was in the corporate world. Okay. Uh, a young man in my early thirties. Climbing that proverbial, you know, ladder. Yeah. Uh, it, I was a director. I was being promoted to VP. Wow. And it just, I got tired of the political bullshit. Oh, can I say that? You can mm-hmm. say that. Okay. So I, I, I don't like the political games. Yeah. I could play it very, very well, and I did. Mm-hmm. But it didn't really sit with who I thought I was and what I was about mm-hmm. from a moral and or ethical standpoint. I just, I just didn't like it. Yeah. I, I, I didn't like 
trying to work with people who, instead of wanting to do their jobs, they were more worried about how to keep their jobs, if yeah. you know what I mean. That's right. Self-preservation. So, yeah, self-preservation and, and at, at anyone's expense. Mm -hmm. And I finally came home and I was just so frustrated. I was like, I just, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So I just decided, you know, if, if I want to have the ability to change course, if I want to have the ability to change what I'm doing, if I want that type of flexibility, I've, I've got to be able to do it myself. Yeah. I need to be in charge. I need to have that control. I, w I don't want people to be miserable. I want to affect change now. I don't want to have to go through 18 levels of management to get something done. Yeah. So I had brewing experience. I came from a beer family. I loved beer. I loved making beer. I was yeah. like, were, were you making beer kind of at home? I hadn't. I hadn't for a long, long, long yeah. time. And so I just decided to start home brewing again and then decided it's, I want to open a brewery. I'm not going down my family's path in the malting business. Yep. Um, I'm going to be their customer. They're going to have to kiss my ass. <laughs> right? So uh, just started kind of reading up some books and getting back into the whole brewing thing, making some beer at home, and then decided to write a business plan. And, and, and this, what year was this? This was 2003-ish. And yeah. no one is doing that. Nobody was doing Well, not here. Not, not, not in Texas. Not, yeah. not, like, no one was doing that. Very, very few craft, craft breweries in Texas. Home, home brewing. Craft beer wasn't a phrase. Yeah. Like, that, phrase. Well, was it a, like in the common, normal culture. Like, and it sure so down, down in Austin, I think like there, was, there was that vibe. Because they had some brew pubs. They had some great brew pubs. They had, but it they sure had some, like wasn't like a legitimate. No, business. it wasn't. Like it micro was, brew. Shiner, Shiner was the, the craft beer, yeah. right? Yeah. So funny story, I'm writing a business plan, I get done with it, and I'm going, I need someone to look this over. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what I'm doing. This is the first. So I called up my old professor at TCU, Dr. Bill Moncrief. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. And I said, hey, this is what I'm doing. Can I drop off a copy of my business plan, and would you get give me a real opinion, mm -hmm. you know? Don't hold back. Just let me know what you think. He goes, sure. So I dropped it off, let's say on a Monday. Mm -hmm. He got back to me by Wednesday. Okay. And he's like very serious. He goes, uh, can you come in and talk to me about this? <laughs> and I felt like a student back back in college again <laughs> getting, rep you know, yeah, oh yes, my God. Yes, sir. Like, Waiting for that F or the bad. D or the C minus, you know? Yeah. So I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, sure. Sure, Dr. Moncrief, you bet. So I went in on like the, like the very next day, maybe it was Friday, and he I'm sitting across from his desk, feeling very small, yeah, very very student like, right? Yeah. And he looks at me and he goes, y "You were here for six years, right? What the hell is this?" <laughs> And I guess I just became flush. I thought I was going to faint <laughs> or cry. Uh -huh. And before he could say anything else, he just started laughing. And uh -huh. then I heard like his assistants out in the office start laughing. <laughs> and he looked at me, he goes, this is really good. I mean, oh, okay. where yeah. was this when you were in school? Uh -huh. So the insult did finally come yeah, out, yeah. right? Okay. So I said, I don't know, maybe I actually did pick up something when I was at, at school and going through my MBA. So he goes, that's great. I don't think I, don't think I would change a thing. Oh, wow. Not I think you're right on target. Yeah, I no think he said, he said, go get them. So after that, I felt confident that I could actually go out to uh, 
prospective investors, yeah. family members, yeah. and not have them look at me in a goofy way like, what, what the hell that are you trying that, to do? That was that bo- like confidence boost. That was a confidence boost to the, hey, you know, does he, this is this is good. Does he know that he did that? Oh, yeah. Well, we does. talk about it all the time. Okay. We, no. it's, does TCU talk about it? I mean, that's that's cool. I think sometimes. I, I had done a lot with TCU the first probably 10 years of the brewery. Mm-hmm. I would go over and do some guest lecturing and stuff. Yeah. A lot of that's kind of stopped, and then COVID hit, and then yeah, they're not doing a lot of that. But, yeah, so that was a real... Big, so you, but you need, big boost. I you felt very confident going. Oh, I needed, I needed money. Yeah, yeah. And this kind of pairs into with one of your questions about advice for others. Yeah, give me some advice. So, what lessons did you learn? We went through. I thought, okay, I'm going to need X, and if I can get X, I can open up the brewery mm-hmm. and start selling a whole bunch of beer and make a whole bunch of money and just yeah, yeah. be happy. Woo-woo-woo, let's yeah. go party, <laughs> rock star lifestyle, right? Yeah. Couldn't be further from the truth. So I raised the money I thought I needed, mm-hmm. and I. So you went, you went and asked people, lots of family and friends, friends, family, and fools. Did friends, you ever no, go to basically a bank? no fools, just friends and family. Okay, okay. They might consider themselves fools for actually yeah, getting involved the in three it. Three Fs normally is yeah. family and fools. Did you did you go to a bank at all? I did. I went to at that time it was Summit Bank. Okay. Did they reject you? No, they actually gave me a line of credit. Oh, cool. They were great. They were very job. They <laughs> were very, very supportive. They read the business plan. They thought it was great. Oh, wow. Well, um, see, most entrepreneurs, I feel like they just get rejected. Yeah, they go to they, banks. They have to go to the family and friends and stuff. But you... I, I think I think they got involved because we had a lot of other money coming in that was supporting okay. it. So it wasn't like go. the majority. It was a small loan comparative to what the total amount came in for starting up the brewery. Okay. That, that I feel like, is normal, I guess, more normal for entrepreneurs. They Because they, we always say that banks are like, yeah, we'll give you money. Only if you have someone else that has money coming into, you know, exactly. Um, and so that that was the case, though. Well, plus, you know, they had, they took the first lien, so we had all this yeah. equipment, so they had something. Although at that point in time, brewery equipment wasn't really valuable. Yeah, you know, it really wasn't. Huh. And the stuff that we had, sure so as hell, wasn't worth anything. So back yeah. to your advice. You said you had some. So yeah. So started up the brewery, and just to make a long story short. We weren't capitalized, right? Mm-hmm. I think I opened up the brewery with a bare minimum. I was so excited to get going. I was so excited to sell beer, make beer that I thought, oh, we're going to make all this money is going to come in and we're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Hadn't really thought about cash flow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what that meant and buying bulk, buying in bulk materials, bulk bottles, bulk everything. It was all trailer load, truck load sizes. So it was expensive. You had to shell out a shit ton of money. And it's like months later until you sell it and actually. Make well, it's over the next couple of months that you're bringing it back, but by the time you start selling it all, you got to buy another more. truckload. Yeah. yeah. So it's like this huge catch-up game until you get to a certain volume of sales before you start seeing it level out, level out, and 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 start making start cash flow so you, positive. You, you would quit your job, quit the job, okay. everything. So very quickly we were starving for cash, mm-hmm. um, which meant that took time away from me. Selling beer, making beer, <clears throat> because I was basically a one man sh- one man show. Except we had wonderful volunteers that came in and helped out on packaging days, on the bottling line. People were excited. They wanted to be a thing. part of something local, be a part of the neighborhood business, and it was beer, and they got free beer at the end of the day. You know, so it's a good deal. So I didn't have time to do the things I needed to do to make a brewery successful. I was out trying to raise money all the time. Yeah. And I always thought, well, if we had something going, it'd be easier to raise the money because I could show them 
an actual product instead of something conceptual. Mm-hmm. And it was, but now you're talking about going back to your own partners, asking for more money, going back to the well to ask for more. And then that's, if you're bringing on new hard. partners and there's dilution and people aren't ha- it was, it was a nightmare. I didn't like that at all. I just wanted to be solvent. Was there, was there a part in any of that where you're like, I regret doing this or were you like, I'm giving up or like, dude, this is a mistake. Yes. And we'll get, can we get to that in just okay. two yeah. seconds? Oh yeah. Yeah. Keep telling the story. So, so the lesson that I learned, and this is what I tell, I've had so many people over the last 10 years come into the brewery who are starting up breweries and they ask, what's the best advice? I, what's, what can you tell me that's really, really important? I said, if you think you need X for capital, go out and get three X because mm-hmm. you're sure as hell going to need it. Yeah. And probably sooner rather than later. I said, if I could do it all over again. I mean, I don't remember what the number was, but let's say it was a million dollars I was trying to raise. Yeah. I would have raised three. Yeah. I can relate. We can relate to that. You know, so, and I think for a lot of young entrepreneurs who haven't been through the process before, it's so exciting that you think, okay, I've got enough to, to open up and we'll just wing it and make it work because I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh, darn it. People like me, <laughs> like you know? Me. Yeah. So I, that's what I always say. And I hope they, people take that to task because it really is the most important aspect behind your business plan and having an actual business model to go after is being capitalized. Mm -hmm. So back to your question, has there ever been a time when, oh, there's been multiple times. And after I opened up the brewery for the first two years, it was a real struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of cash flow. Because of cash flow. I mean, I was financially broke. Mm-hmm. I had no money. Um, and I needed to bring kids? it. Did you have kids at that point? Yeah. I, I had two oh. kids, Will, Will and Hayden. So two, they were little. They were tiny. They were sleeping on bags of grain, 55 pounds. They were, <laughs> their, their bodies fit on a bag of grain yeah. about this long. So right? you're just, you're just in tiny. there grinding and your cash They were tiny. Was. Yeah. And the brewery needed money. A lot, of, you know, to keep going. So uh, brought on a partner, uh-huh. but I needed money personally. Personally, live. yeah. So I actually took uh, a contract job uh, down on the island of St. Croix at the Hovenza Oil Refinery managing their petroleum coke handling system, which paid a lot of money, and it was only for a two-year period. So I brought a partner on, contracted with him to do two years while I did that. Now, I was flying back and forth, wow. uh, managing as much as I could and doing so what I could. you're working during the day, and then at night you're calling and checking Exactly. Out. So, um, you know, trying to help out as much as I could being away. And then after that two-year period, I came back and was was – had I was liquid again personally, yeah. So I could do what I needed to do. And by that time, things were starting to change in Texas. And from that point on, we just we just went, mm-hmm. yeah. And for the for the really for the next four or five years, it was crazy. You couldn't couldn't make enough beer, really, at that time. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's been time. I think in anybody's career, especially with owning a business, there's ups and downs. And you know, if it was what's the old saying? If it was really easy, everybody would do it, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there have been times where I've just wanted to shove the whole thing down the drain. But then you'll be at a brewery tour at the and you see people drinking your beer and smiling and you know i can always tell 
when someone really likes a beer because they'll take a sip and they'll look at their husband or wife or their friends, and there's that there's that nod mm-hmm. and yeah. a smile. And they I look, just did that a second. We ago just did the nod. Exactly, you guys like, did it. We did. Damn, this is good. It. So you know, you see that. Yeah. And that's people goes. What what makes it worthwhile? Mm-hmm. And it's. Yeah, it's being successful financially. It's being successful this, that, and other winning awards. But for me, the most important thing is when someone, when I'm with somebody, they don't maybe not know who I am, or they're sitting at another table and they drink, and they drink our product, and they do that, that little nod and smile, and they, you know, I could see them saying, "This is good," yeah, or "This is really good," or yeah. "Wow, have you, you know, that's what makes it hit home for me." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, that's I, what makes it worthwhile. I have, a, I have a couple questions. Well, one is sort of about scaling it and hiring and, and going from sort of solo to people. My, my, so you said it blew up kind of quickly. Like, mm-hmm. was there a point where you were like, oh, my gosh, this is working. My, I see my drinks in restaurants or at stores or just people are in the like was there a, a particular moment where you felt like this is happening this is real oh absolutely and i think it's one of your one of your questions yeah, what's yeah. what was one of the most difficult things to manage during that period and i think you know managing employees is always interesting uh managing sale but managing scaling up a production facility, that's probably the hardest thing to do. And I was always told to do it slow and conservative. Mm-hmm. So we did. We didn't, you know, for a period of time, we just kind of did what we could to keep growing and growing and growing because the most important thing on the beer side is maintaining quality. Yeah, how do you freshness. do that on a so bigger scale? if you blow up really, really fast, you may actually lose your ability to brew a quality beer because you're so focused on getting beer out the door, Mm -hmm. you may rush it. You may do something or you may do something that, that takes your focus away from the quality of the, of the product. Mm -hmm. And it was some of the best advice I ever got from slower from, from, from Brock Wagner at St. Arnold Brewing Company was just slowly don't, don't get ahead of yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't get ahead of yourself from a production standpoint where quality can fail. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, then there was that moment like, oh my God, we can't brew it fast enough. Let's go out and buy a whole bunch of equipment. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, it's like, oh, wait a second. This is really expensive. You got to yeah. pay for this stuff. Yeah. And now you're back at and, the same kind of like. And now, and then, you know, once you get to that point, it's like, okay, but now we got to buy more equipment. And more equipment and more equipment to keep growing and growing and growing. Sometimes I, I think, especially in this business environment with everybody, is the model is grow it to a certain point and just be happy with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the, the, the trick, not the trick, the hiccup, I think, in the craft beer industry is you have to keep buying equipment mm-hmm. if you want to grow and the bigger you get, oh my God, exponentially, the more expensive it gets. Yeah. And things break. You gotta fix it. There's maintenance. And I think with a lot of breweries they they don't think through that a lot of times. Yeah. So yeah, there's just scaling is really, really a challenge. And I'm glad we did it slowly. Was there any any other than slow, was there any other just tricks for scaling like if you were giving someone advice on scaling like 
procedures or with hiring or like one of the things that I also that when we started up the brewery I didn't have availability to really new equipment. They weren't making there wasn't a lot of these companies making craft beer size systems. Yeah. Yeah. We were very fortunate. I bought the old Abita system which okay, was a which was a old system out of the Pacific Northwest that was made by a company called JV Northwest. But I wouldn't say it was a very small system. It was a pretty aggressive system for yeah. a startup brewery. You still have that system? We're still brewing on that oh, system, really? yeah. Yeah, it still works. It's still fine. Yeah. Um, and then the craft beer kind of hits in the, the early teens of 2000 teens. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you go to the trade shows and there's hundreds and hundreds of companies making equipment for small brew pubs all the way up to the big guys. And it's not as expensive as it was if I wanted to have something built back in 2004. Yeah. Um, so the entry to the business today is much easier. Gotcha. It's much more cost effective. Yeah. So when we started, we used... We piecemealed really horrible equipment together, old used dairy tanks, brewery <laughs> equipment, uh-huh. uh, things from like dairy equipment, literally uh, fillers from wherever, just piecemealing everything together. How did you ma- know how to? Like, I had no idea. How did you know to hook? No this idea. Up to I this? just I read some books and did my research and had some help from some other people in the industry who actually helped me go pull the brewery out of Abita. Oh, you and really got it. Oh, we pulled it out. We cut it out. We Are helped load it up on trucks and we shipped how'd it to Fort Worth. How did you even know that they were selling it? Um, there was a couple brokers who did sell brewery equipment. And you had yeah. to go disassemble a thing and bring it oh, back. Oh, yeah. And... I remember, I know I'm digressing, but I remember being at Abita, and I'm on, on top of this tank, uh-huh. and there were some electrical lines going to it for probes and things. Luckily, low voltage. Did you have, have a flashback yeah. of your, your great, great, great? Kind of. Yeah. It was kind of like that. Yeah. We weren't smart enough to double check to make sure all the power was turned off to the system. So I'm up there with my... You know, yeah. clippers, my wire, big two-handed wire cutters, and I go, boom, on this small cable, Pop. and all of a sudden it popped. It threw me back off the tank. I no fell down way. about six feet right oh on my, my ass. Gosh, didn't hurt myself, but I tripped everything in in the Abita brewery. <laughs> Everything, shut down their facility. Everything <laughs> shut down. No way. They were in the middle of a packaging run. They were brewing. I mean, the whole thing went dark. They're like, who let this railroad guy in here? <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. And the guy I was I was with, uh, who was helping me, looked at me. He was like, "Are, are you okay? I mean, wow. seriously." All right, guys, we're interrupting your podcast experience once again. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But we are giving you something for free. So it's totally worth it. Yeah. We recently released a document called The Storytelling Pathway on our website. It is our playbook for success for growing brands for marketing mm-hmm. that, that that's every literally everything that we do at Sixth Avenue Storytelling and we want to share it with the world we want to give it to you so in addition to these nuggets that you're learning on this podcast you can get our free playbook free manual for how you grow your business from Sixth Avenue Sixth Storytelling. Storytelling yeah it's that's the Storytelling right. and it's really really good it's where do you find it at SixthAvenueStorytelling.com there you go and it's good go get it go download it I promise it's going to help your business.
looked like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm yeah. sure my hair was just yeah. like in the cartoons, yeah. you know? So yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. Today, for equipment's, I wouldn't say dime a dozen, but boy, you could go out and buy some really, really good equipment, make really, really, really good beer really, really, really quick if you know what you're doing. Yeah. Way easier. And I think that's why you see so many breweries. I mean, when I started in Texas, we had, I think, maybe eight craft breweries, Uh and two of us were brand new. Us and Independence started at the exact same time. Yeah. We're down in Houston, uh, down in Austin. And today, I want to say there's over 300. And just crazy. North Texas alone. Wow. So yeah, I want to I want to ask about that. Is, you know, in the twenty teens, you're you know that we had that craft <laughs> beer explosion where everybody and their brother wanted to make craft beer from home, and they're going to start a new brand. They're going to start. It just, it just became popular. Yeah. Like we we only knew Coors Light, Bud Light, Miller and all Light. of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, there's a way better way of. Yeah, there, there, there were some there were some government things that happened to at that time that made it a little bit more friendly to open up a brewery. Okay. Um, they changed some of the labeling laws, which allowed other breweries from outside the state to come in and sell beer. Oh, okay. So at one time in history back then, there was all this new beer coming in. It really turned on the general public. People, I mean, Austin already had kind of its thing. Yeah. yeah. St. Arnold's was down in Houston doing their thing, but yep. up here there was nothing. Yeah. But then all of a sudden there was this influx of craft beer that came in and it really turned people on. And the thing about craft beer, which is so much fun and what I think it's one of its its best attributes is that it brings community together. Mm-hmm. I talked about volunteers at the brewery, and I never had to ask anybody for help. Everybody offered. Wow. Everybody wanted to help out. Everybody wanted to be a part of something local, mm-hmm. something in their backyard, yeah. something that they could put their arms around and call their own. And I think that's what happened with Rar and Sons as being the only thing in, in game in town People loved it. People loved having something in their backyard that they could be proud of and say, here, try this. This is brewed in, in my town. I've, I've and, heard, and, I've and we're incredibly proud of it. You're, yeah. you're, like if you go on a Wednesday or a Saturday, like a lot of those are volunteers, right? Not anymore. No, we've actually, because they got to be such um, such an operation and we've gone to multiple okay. days. We were open now Wednesday through Sunday. It got so big. It got so big. We, we had to go. For a long time, they were volunteers. Volunteers, yeah. So we went, now we're, we're paid, paid but staff. But I, I would, I, I, I do think part of your success was one, it was really good. You know, two, it was also the first in Fort Worth. It changed, it introduced this idea to Fort Worth, I, I would argue in a lot of ways. But the third thing is, is, is this idea of community. You were allowing people to volunteer and you were doing the, the, your brewery wasn't just a place where you made beer. It was a community hub. It was a place of fellowship. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. And so many people we actually we had to tell people no we don't we don't need any help but then you'd see that person getting a trash can and going and emptying it in the dumpster all without asking without doing anything and you know we've never had a major what i'd call vandalism experience in the 16 17 years that we've been open that's crazy and it, well we, we we've had a couple of altercations with people but mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest they came at at class reunions 
where like <laughs> old girlfriends and boyfriends get in the fight because their wives and husbands don't like the fact that they're talking to their old high school sweetheart kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. So we've had a couple of those, but never anything really, really, really egregious. But yeah. did you have to facilitate that? I mean, was it as simple as just opening the doors and setting good beer down? Or I'm assuming you did something to get facilitate bringing people in and experiencing sort of this fellowship and community like there was I'm sure sure there was some thought behind it we made beer we opened up the brewery and people could could, could come in and 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 drink beer they, it, it was that simple it was that simple and we weren't flashy we're still not flashy yeah. we are a warehouse yeah. we are we're not the bells and whistles of some of these new breweries that have opened up and have gorgeous tap rooms and stuff mm-hmm. we're still Nuts and bolts, very raw. But that's kind of you know, the charm to that's it. That's kind of part of the the genesis qua or whatever they would yeah. call it of, of the brewery. People kind of like that. But no and one was doing that at the time, right? Nobody was really. No, we were kind of following. You know, I'd, I'd lived in Houston and had gone to St. Arnold's Tours. And, and mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest, they that's what they were doing. And I was like, I like that. That yeah. felt that felt good. It felt warm, welcoming, inviting. Yeah. So I said, that's what I want to do. And that's what we did. And it just morphed into its own animal. It was wonderful. It was it was like everybody wanted, and I said this before, wrap their arms around it and call it their own. And you were asking, I think before you were going to mention, you know, any altercations or how did people... No, we haven't... People would come into the brewery and if they saw something going on that shouldn't be going on, they would handle it themselves. Yeah. Because they wanted the brewery to stay. They wanted the brewery to be successful. They wanted to, you know, have that ownership where they could make make it make a difference, make a change. Yeah. And my, my question was, how did you survive? Like, in my mind, whenever you see this explosion and all these breweries are opening up or all these, you know, companies are opening up around you, especially just in within Fort Worth, you're like, oh, my gosh, I go from zero competition essentially in Fort Worth to, and you're, you're looking at Texas too, but then now, you know, eight to 300 is just crazy. And it's like, how do you survive? How do you even not survive, but thrive during that? And you kind of answered it. It's like you, you are Fort Worth's like brewery, you know, it's like, well, let's, let's, let's community. talk about competition. Yeah. So when we opened up the brewery, no, there wasn't a lot of craft beer competition, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we were going into bars that only had three and four taps. Yeah. yeah. Right? So we were competing against Guinness, Bud Miller Coors, and a Shiner Tap that was almost always there. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very difficult to get a tap placement unless you were lucky enough to find a bar, restaurant, whatever, who wanted to support local. And we did. There were a lot of them, and, and they're still some of our biggest accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was our competition at the time. We were yeah. competing against the big guys for space, yeah. not only for tap space at the bars and restaurants, but for shelf space. Yeah. The beer box wasn't as big as it is today. So let's fast forward to all of a sudden having all this competition, right? Yeah. But you know what? Now all of a sudden we have beer bars and your local bar that would once have four taps, now they've got 20. Yeah. Yeah. So even though we had more competition from a craft standpoint. More people are drinking. There's now exponentially more places that you can put your beer on tap that you're not fighting over 
four tap spaces. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty standard. You go to a place now, and they might have 20 taps. Agreed. And a lot of places now have 50. <laughs> and there's a lot more of those places around town. Yeah. So, yeah, we 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 they changed some laws. There's a craft explosion, and there's a lot more craft breweries out there. But there are so many more places to put your product. Grocery stores are now the beer box is now, you know, twenty yards long. A whole, a whole aisle. Yeah, a whole aisle plus maybe some extra end caps and all this and all this stuff. So you so, felt like it just you didn't have to, it was less competition or not less competition, but it was more opportunity. The pie grew and you just had a, your space. Right. You know? At that point in time. Today, you know, the space hasn't grown mm-hmm. as much. There's Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more breweries in Texas. Yep. And now we've got the seltzer thing going on. So it's there's been an impact there for sure. Yeah. Just on different styles, different categories of products coming in that are cutting into the beer segment. Sure. So, Man. And what do you but it's constantly changing. You've got to be able to flex with it yeah. and change quickly. <clears throat> and unfortunately... We don't do it as fast as maybe some others, uh, but we eventually get there and make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. So, how do you? So, one of the things that, that fascinates me about your your industry is, as I can I can fathom. Okay, I'm, I've made this great tasting product. I got this community thing going. We're figuring out how to do production, but you now have to take this and make these cans, and I now got to like somehow get them into all these. 50 restaurants and to all these grocery stores and the distribution piece of it in the beginning, like, especially if there's only, there's only Coors, there's only Bud Light, like, was it hard figuring out how to go get it in places? I'll tell you what, when we, when we first started, um, we were self-distributing. You, so someone was <laughs> loading up a truck and... It was me. <laughs> it was me. I, I brewed it, I went out and delivered it, and I sold it. Really? Yeah, in the in the beginning, and it was at first. I thought it was really easy because most everybody around town said, "Sure, I'll throw a keg on. We'll we'll help you out. We'll, but we'll every do week that." You go in and drop enough new oh, kegs. Oh, oh, hang on, you're getting yeah. ahead of yourself yeah. here. Do that. And I would go through two kegs at at let's just say bar A. Yeah. And I'd go back and I go, oh, you you know, you want some more beer? Oh no, no, we're not gonna. You know, we're not. If you got cans or something, we'll or bottles, we'll we'll bring it in. But you know, we're not going to do draft anymore. And I said, "Well, geez, you sold three kegs in a week. Oh, it sold great." And I said, "So what's what's the problem?" Because well, I, I took X Y Z off to put you on, but these guys take me on trips. They take me to the Masters in Augusta. They take me skiing. Call you know, you know the big boys. Yeah. Mm. And it goes. It goes. I'm not. I'm not going to give up that. Really? Oh, wow. I said, I said, just just put you on to help you get exposure, and it sold well, and we're happy to support you. But I'm not going to put you on tap. I only have four tap handles, yeah. And you know, I've got to give one to each of the majors, and yeah. You know, I switch out this for this every other month, to, you know, to get something different. But you know, I might put you on every now and then, but no, I'm not. I don't need you now. Man. So it's like there was an immediate rush of really great sales, and then. And then a, a lot of that, unfortunately, and that was a real eye awakening experience, because you know a lot of stuff that was probably going on wasn't supposed to be going it's on. Kind of right? like payola in the music industry. 
like you have these major labels that yeah so it's paying it, djs it's like you're competing in this market it's like i don't have that kind of money yeah you know so I, I, you I, I can't i can't do that i can't do these specials i can't you just keep hammering and keep going to new places and new places and new places and just slowly find niches in that market at that time yeah and people wanted to support a local brewery yeah you know and but you're driving it around yourself Oh, yeah, I'm driving around myself. I would brew two days a week and then deliver two or three days a week. It was like funny. A semi or a box I had I had what the boys, my boys called Big Red. <laughs> it was like an Isuzu or, or some 16 or 18 foot deep red, deep red cab. The whole thing was red. Mm-hmm. Box truck with our label logos on the side. And it's funny because during the, during the school year, I sometimes would have to to pick up the kids, <laughs> and I would I would pull up to Ridgely Hills Elementary in this <laughs> big ass beer truck, uh-huh. and all these parents are looking like what what's going on? Yeah. Here's this beer truck pulling up, getting kids. Or during the summertime when the kids weren't in school, they sometimes came out with me for shits and giggles yeah. to deliver beer. So it wouldn't be unusual to be at the Flying Saucer or to be at H3 Ranch Steakhouse downtown or somewhere over in Dallas and I'm cleaning lines in the cold box cleaning whatever and the boys are sitting at the bar having a root beer uh-huh. or in a in a basket of fries so it was really kind of fun and interesting the boys got really used to being in bars yeah sure it was it was a comfortable place for them they knew the people yeah and a funny quick story um they were probably early teens, and I was at the brewery, and it was summertime, and they said, Dad, can we take the bikes and go down to the movie theater downtown? I was like, well, sure, absolutely. From the brewery over the brewery. South Main. Yeah. 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 No big deal, right? So they go, they go to the movie, and I'm just kind of going, guys, it's getting kind of getting kind of late and we did have cell phones then but they weren't like smartphones right they were just flip phones and stuff so i finally call them after the movie's been out for like a half an hour right Mm -hmm. and i go where are you guys oh we're at flying saucer (laughs) (laughs) what do you do you have to be 21 to be i was like what do you well it's also kind of a restaurant kind of thing i said what are you doing i said we're sitting at the bar with Uncle Bubba. <laughs> I go, what are you doing? He goes, having a piece of pizza and having a root beer. I said, oh, okay. Well, so that's who they knew. Yeah. I mean, they were like, that's their connection. We know people at the oh, bars. Man. We know the we know people. So yeah. So that was just I kind of knew I was in in up to my neck at that point well, in time. Let's, so, talk, let's talk about kids. And uh, the, I knew the boys were going to be a part of the brewery somehow, somewhere. That, so the other question I want to ask you was just about legacy. It, it's raw and sons is what you called it even before you had sons, right? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a traditionalist at heart. And my, and my family's business, after it was the raw brewery, they changed it to the William Rar Sons Company. Yeah. And it was meant for generations, right? Mm-hmm. And I always thought... If I, if I opened something up, I'd have something built that they would become a part of. And maybe hopefully some way, shape, or form, they would be generations of RARs working for the company in any way, shape, form 
of the company if it just existed in some way. That's right. So uh, the boys early on both started working part-time at, at the brewery doing odds and ends, working on the packaging line, cleaning, uh, summer work just to make some extra money. And then uh, my oldest, Will, decided he wanted to go through the Siebel Institute brewing program online. And he was working in the brewery uh, doing various things. And I said, okay, you serious? Because it's going to take some time. It's going to take some commitment. Yeah. And and he did it. He went through and, and got his certificate in brewing from Siebel Institute. Was it easy for him? Because he like no, it's, it's, it? it's not. What was great about it was he, in or, one of the prerequisites of the course was you had to have a brewery that you could go in and, and do some practical work, test stuff, some right. test stuff. Yeah. And I was like, well, okay, we, we got that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really easy for him. But yeah, he worked his ass off mm -hmm. and he went through the program and did really, really well. And, you know, now he's, now he's one of my, well, he's my lead. He's one of my lead brewers. He's, he really? a, he's an excellent brewer. He made probably the stuff that you're drinking right now. Uh -uh. And then my youngest Hayden, he's a couple of years younger. Yeah. You know, he's got the gift for gab. He's a perfect sales He's guy. Yeah. He loves to talk. He's really good at it. He could he could sell you anything. So we got him in, involved in sales. So he's one of my head salespeople out in the market, wow. slinging beer and doing and doing a great job. So as as a father and a parent to these these two kids who man, they're not kids anymore. They're they're twenty five and twenty three. Yeah. They're they're young men. It is Probably the best feeling a dad could have Absolutely. is watching um, your your children be leaders in the industry mm. and being respected and being having people look at them as you know not just the the sons of some owner of some company getting a free ride. I mean, these two kids work their asses off. Yeah, and you know everybody thinks being a brewer is a rock star job, but it's really not. I mean, at first it really is cause it's new and different, but it's, it's a, it's a hard job. It's a, yeah. it's long hours. It can be really long hours in horrible conditions. The brewery during the summertime is blazing hot mm. and you're around a kettle of 220, 212 degrees heat. So it's, it, it can be, it can be a, a a real gruel sometimes yeah. and and they do it and they they do it because i i hope they they love it yeah i think they do it partly because they want to be part of the family business um maybe they feel ob obligated a little bit to do but it, it. I, I don't like know they it, but they both did it by choice it, it wasn't like you pressured them into well, doing it i i hope it was by choice yeah. yeah you know i was growing up i always felt pressured to go into the family business yeah um and i and i almost did but but I didn't. I got sidetracked because of where I went to school, and I was away from the family business being in Texas, so I wasn't around it. I think if I would have stayed in Minnesota, mm -hmm. I probably would have felt obligated, and I would have gone into the family business. Sure. But I didn't, and that's what happened. So, and I always told the kids, you you, you don't you don't have to do this. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, you can do whatever you want. You can you can stop and go experience something else. This is the time of your life where you need to go do it. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. the older you get, the harder it will be to to go do something like that. So I, I've always said, I mean, even now, if it's something that you don't want to do, you want to go try something else, I'll help you. 
Just yeah, to, let yeah. me know what you want to do. And then when you're ready to come back, come back. If you don't want to come back, you found something that you really, really love, yeah. then that's perfectly fine with me too. And did you got did you like do anything to cultivate that? Like was it like where obviously they were coming, you know, you're picking up in the truck, they were doing deliveries and stuff like that, odd and in jobs. Uh, but it was it something that you talked about legacy like did you talk about your family tell them stories about where you're doing it or they, they yeah they, they know the family history it's funny one of the main reasons why they got involved working and in stuff early on was because you know they kept coming with with a hand going can i have can i have some money yeah can i have you know whatever yeah i was like yeah you can but let's let's how about we get in the get in the brewery and do something to maybe earn the money. You got to earn it. And then once they started working and they started earning money and the amount of money that they could earn, they were kind of like, Hey, this is all right. I've got money. I can, but just just making your kids work, (laughs) I think is like my parents made me have a job from the time I was like 14, 15. I worked every summer. And my parents did too, even though I was swimming. Yeah. Yeah. 30 hours a week, you know, 30, 40 hours a week. I still had to have some sort of a summer job during, during that time of my life. So I think it's very important. And, and how did your family, whenever, I mean, you got, you're out of the business for, I mean, not out of the business. You didn't, you didn't go 10 years, you're in a completely different industry. And then you come back and instead of joining the family business, quote unquote, you're like, well, I am, but I'm doing it my own way. It was your, it, it's was funny. One, one of your questions on your sheet was, what did people say when you told me you were going to go yeah, open up I'm a so brewery? About that. And I remember where I was. I was I was in Florida um, on the East Coast, kind of Palm Beach area, mm-hmm. doing a sales call. And I was in the hotel lobby in the morning. And I was just about ready to turn in my resignation at the railroad. And I was talking to my parents. So my mom's on the phone. And my dad was on the phone, a different phone, but same conversation. And I said, hey, there's going to be some news coming out probably tomorrow. I don't want to blindside you with it, but I'm leaving. I'm, I'm resigning from my job. Yeah. And they go, why? What are you going to do? And I said, I'm opening a brewery. You hadn't told him yet. Yeah. And my mom said, you're what? <laughs> Are you fucking crazy? <laughs> Am I not? My mom, when she got mad, she might use, she might drop the F bomb, yeah. but not in just casual conversation oh like that. Oh my gosh. And she was like, Are you nuts? Do you have yeah. any idea what you're doing? Because she knew what the kind of career path I was on at the railroad. She goes, yeah. you're, you're giving up the golden parachute to go start a what? <laughs> And this went on for about. We've done that this, before. This went on for about two or three minutes on yeah. the phone, and I'm just sitting listening to my mom just rip me to pieces, not in a bad way, but just kind of like, you know, are you sure this is what you want to do? Yeah. Also, my dad chimes in and goes, and if you ever knew my dad, he would always go, ho ho ho, I think that's terrific. <laughs> no, that's what he says. Wow. And my mom on the other phone goes, oh, Fritz, shut up. That was my dad's name too. Fritz, shut up. And wow. so that was that was it. That's how that's how they found. I. I told nobody, but your dad, your dad, nobody knew what I was going to do because I didn't want to lose my job at the railroad Yeah, because it took me six, eight months to put a business plan together to do all this. I didn't want to have it get out that I was doing this. And then maybe the railroad might fire me and get rid of me and then not have a job that the brewery thing didn't start. Right. So it was very, very, very much on a down low. But your dad was excited. He loved it. You and your dad were close. Did he get down? He was happy that I was going into the industry, doing my own thing, mm-hmm. um, 
because I think he really, at, at, in some way, wanted me to be a part of the family business, but I, mm-hmm. but I didn't. Yeah. Um, and that I was doing the brewery, and I think that just tickled him. Absolutely. Because he's like, okay, you're, you're going to be part, but you can do your own thing. That's great. Yeah. That's cool. So, but That's... I remember that. I remember that morning like it was yesterday. How did you leave? Did you leave it feeling excited or scared or what? At, at that conversation. Um. Oh, I was petrified, but I was petrified before I had that conversation. I was scared to death. I didn't, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Yeah. I had no idea. I'd never started up a company before. Nobody ever really talked to me about how to do something like that. Mm-hmm. It's not really what I studied heavily in college. And even if you did, but you've never done it before, how do you really know what you're doing? Yeah. So we made a lot of mistakes, but learned very, very quickly. What, what do you, what, like five years from now? 10 years from now, what is, what is sort of the vision there? At my age, five years from now, I'm, I'm hoping I'm close to being able to pass it on mm-hmm. and be done. Yep. I'm 50, 54. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, by the time I'm 60, I'd like to be done and not worrying about it. To be perfectly honest, it's been a long haul. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. But it's, uh, I don't want to say it's a young man's game, but in a lot of ways it is. Yeah. Um, so I like to just see the boys kind of doing their thing and taking it to whatever level they, they want to or yeah. whatever they want to do with it is fine. Big or small. Big you, or small. You just excited. They can expand it. They can sell it. They can, you know, whatever, whatever floats their boat. Wow. You know, it's really up to them. It's just the legacy. I've done, I, I, I will have done my part and. Yep. So do you, do you feel like a piece like I did it? Yeah. You know, I like built this thing. I feel good. My kids are now ha- like, do you have like a piece from that? I, I, I do when everything's going really well. <laughs> and then when there's financial hiccups, it COVID. I just go, oh, my God, yeah. what, what have I done? Yeah. yeah. So but it really is. An, it's an up and down business. It's especially with COVID. COVID was. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'm, I'm, yeah. Um, you know, the worst thing is having to say goodbye to an employee, mm-hmm. yeah. a teammate. I don't even like, I don't want to say employee, a team member. Yeah. Um, and and laying off or firing somebody is is such a hard hard thing to do and it happens once in a while yeah. but when covid hit you know we went from this business to losing 60% of our business overnight because wow. that was the bar business was 60% of our business mm-hmm. so what do you do well you immediately have to like cut cut, expenses. cut people yeah um but I think we did it. We did it well. We didn't. We didn't say goodbye to anybody. Yeah. We we furloughed people, but we still paid for their health benefits. Mm. Wow. Wow. Just couldn't pay them. We didn't didn't have the cash flow. Yeah. yeah. And we went from thirty three people, literally down to twelve. Yeah. Mm. And we kept producing beer, but all we did was can. Yeah. And we all pitched in, and we all did things. And luckily, we were able to sell a lot of beer through our Beer to Go program. Yeah. And because bars were closed, people were going out to the grocery stores buying beer. Yeah. And liquor right. stores buying beer. So from a package standpoint, we did we did well enough to keep positive cash flow going forward. And then as COVID started opening up, we started bringing, bringing people back. Yeah. And then we were all shut down again for a short period of time. Yeah. And a big so part, we had to, a big part to, of your business is, is also 
At the brewery. At the, at yeah. the brewery, yeah. yeah. A, a big chunk of our revenue on an annual basis comes through the uh, social aspect of what goes on at the brewery, the tastings, the tours, private parties, events. Yeah. yeah. So that was a huge hit as well. So, you know, we went through two furloughs because of the opening up and then they shut down again, yeah, then they right. opened back up. And, you know, basically everybody had their job to come back to, but a couple of people didn't. Yeah, a couple people enjoyed staying home, or or decided, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a stay-at-home mom or dad, mm-hmm. um, or I'm getting a lot of money from the government to stay home. I'm making more money staying home than I am working. Why do I want to come back and work? Yeah, and and that still is a big issue, at least for us. We we have a really hard time filling right now sales positions. We have multiple positions open, but hard to find really good quality people yeah because yeah. for so long people were just sitting at home getting their benefits from from the government and which is fine it's your yeah. choice but from a standpoint of getting quality people experienced yeah. people to jump right back in has been really really difficult yeah. it's getting a little bit easier now things are starting to kind of flow back into a normal yeah process yeah, yeah. but man for the past year it's been it's been tough. Mm-hmm. It's been real tough. Yeah. So I think people hear those stories all over the country. Yeah. It's not just our industry. I think it's it's everywhere. Yeah. But so. a lot of it was food and beverage industry. That was like food and beverage service guy industry guy for sure. The hardest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, on on the like the topic of employees, I want to ask you about your culture because. I, it's my perception as an outsider that, that your culture is also really neat and that y'all, I feel like you do some things, um, that again, as an outsider, it looks like you have a really, a great culture that people would want to be a part of two, two things that I, that I just, I noticed as a spectator was one, I, I, there was two different times I went to the brewery. I remember one time they were like Jim and Metallica. And I think I went another time and they were like Jim and Super Loud, like the Backstreet Boys or something. Are you talking about just in the brewery itself in the during brewery, production? Employees. And I yeah. asking, okay, so the deal is, the deal is we have a PA system that'll play music, whatever. Yeah. But everybody gets a different day. <laughs> yeah, but th- and that's one of the things that, like, I asked you about it. And you said everybody that. gets a little bit different day, but and it may get- not be for the full day. They might get the 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 first part, you know, for their shift. <laughs> They're in charge of the music for the shift, and they get to play whatever the hell they want to play. I love, but that's part and, of your culture, and, right? And hell be it if you don't like it, you got to live with it. And then <laughs> tomorrow could be your uh-huh. turn, and it could be payback, or yeah. it may not be. May people may like what you yeah. like to play, but that's kind of the the rules of the road in the brewery is people get to their they get their time to play what kind of music that they like yeah yeah but you what, what else the, the other thing i was going to say that struck me i thought that was very cool as an owner that you sort of give them you know make make this experience your own it's funny because sometimes i'll i'll notice the music and this music there and i like all different kind of music yeah, yeah. right and then all of a sudden somebody will start playing some death metal. Yeah. 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 And it's just that guttural in the boom 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 boom. And for some reason, they're playing in a two hundred feet away from me at the far end of the brewery, but because of the acoustic shadows, it feels like they're playing it inside my head. <laughs> and I'm at my desk and I'm trying to get work done and it's just just I could see the 
water glass just vibrate. Like Jurassic like, Oh Park. my God, can we just turn it down a little bit? Yeah. This can't be safe. You know, we got to be able to hear people <laughs> if something happens, right? So I sometimes have to go out and go, can you just turn it down just, yeah, yeah. just a little bit for me, please? Just but what, old, what, old, old crotchety guy in the office. Could you turn yeah. it down for me, please? But what, what are the other things you do have done to make the, the employee culture special? I know you like, if someone's been there a certain amount of years, you... Oh, we do some fun things. So, uh, every year on your anniversary, you know, up to four years, you know, every month we'll do a cake for anniversaries and birthdays for people. And it's just something fun and silly. That's cool. uh, but on the fifth anniversary, you're, you become part of the boot club. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's something where, um, I do kind of on my own. It's, it's something that I want to do to, show my appreciation to our teammates. So yeah. at, at five years, we get to go out and we'll go down to Lusky's here um, with, with Mike Lusky and we have a pair of custom-made cowboy boots made. Yeah. And hopefully they'll put the RAR logo on it somewhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, uh, but it's not mandatory. But you, you know, you, you buy them, a, you you let them make a pair of custom cowboy boots. Cowboy boots. They, they have uh, a dollar of value so that they cool. can go up to. And and those are not cheap. Well, it's not cheap. Yeah. No, no, it's not. Yeah. It's not. And they get, they, every year they seem to get more expensive. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's fun. It's something that I like to do personally. Um just to show my appreciation for being a part of the family yeah. and it's fun. And so the five year boot club, I think we've got 10 people now in it. Oh, that's cool. Um, and my VP of sales and my North Texas sales manager were both hired on the same day and they just got there five years and we were going to go out like three weeks ago, but one of the guys was sick. So we, we, we postponed it and we still have to reschedule it. Yeah. But we'll, we'll come to, we'll go down to stockyards and we'll go to one of the restaurants that support us really well. Uh, like Risky's barbecue, H three ranch cattlemen's and, um, some of the others. And, but we'll go do the boots first. We'll all meet up at, at Lusky's and, um, help, them watch them go through the whole process of doing the boots and then we go out and find we we may go to the basement bar yeah and have a couple beers and then after that we go have dinner as a big group that's fun and Afterwards, some people still go out, but at my age, I'm just like, okay, it's 9 30, 10 yeah. o'clock. I'm going home. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. But yeah, so that's something we do. And then at 10 years, um, I haven't yet to do it yet, but my creative director, my creative guy, you know, Jeff. He's a genius. Jeff Wood. He's yeah. amazing. He He's he's met his 10, 10 years. Wow. And I always said at 10 years, I'll take you on a trip. We'll go over to Europe and we'll spend four or five days going around to various breweries for experience. Wow. Fun. And hopefully we might learn a little something too at these different breweries on how they is it scheduled? Is it happening? Well, we we haven't scheduled it yet because it's gotten kind of crazy this year. Um, I've got another guy coming up in his 10 years, so we may wait till spring. We'll do it in in the springtime and do it together. But that'll be a a great time. So um, other than that, I haven't thought about 15 or 20. (laughs) 
haven't gotten there yeah. yet, but yeah. I never, I, 10 years, I never thought I was going to get to 10 years anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's right. so, that's really and so cool. it's really fun that we actually have some of the employees getting 10 years uh, to incredible. 10 years. Well, that's yeah. cool. So that's really cool. So those are some of the fun things. Um, the culture, you know, everyone goes, how did you create your culture? And I, I think one of the interesting, great things about the brewery, both as internal teammates working for a company and for people outside experiencing the brewery as a whole is I don't think we created anything. Mm-hmm. I think it, I mean, we didn't go out purposely trying to do anything. I think the neat thing about the culture at the brewery is that it created itself. Mm-hmm. We created an atmosphere where it was inviting, uh, warm, you talk about fellowship. Yeah, but you had to create that atmosphere. It doesn't. It doesn't happen. Okay. On okay. So we create. We opened the doors. We made beer, and we invited people to come drink. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I guess in a way we we did create, but we didn't do anything after the fact to mold it to a certain degree in any way, shape, or form in any direction. Well, I think it I'm, just kind of organically grew, and that's kind of what it is. I think that that idea that philosophy of allowing people to like the people that are coming in to be who they are and be themselves be real authentic without trying to create or force a culture onto them i think that is a culture within itself i mean i mean that's obviously i'm coming to either with your employees to just do a job where i'm not going to be micromanaged and even or tell you tell me what music to listen to or it's the customer coming in and being like man i can be myself here i can enjoy this nice beer with my friends and not have to you know feel like it's in a pretentious like upscale brewery or something like that i think that within itself is like a cool authentic real raw culture yeah i I think you know one of the things that you were looking at is is what's my management style yeah. kind yeah. of thing. And I'm really easygoing. Yeah. That's because I wanted to get out of the political crap of corporate world. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be dialed down, relaxed. And so I'm really easy yeah. for a management style. And maybe sometimes I'm way too easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I allow the people who I work with do their jobs. Yeah. I've got enough crap to worry about <laughs> yep. where I don't want to have to get involved in somebody else's responsibilities. Yeah. Now finding those people, that's a different story. <laughs> um, so you have to go through certain people. You, you watch people uh, and you promote people mm-hmm. and you do the things that you need to do. But what's really great is once you found a person, um, where you can just let them go and do their thing. It's so much easier to do the things that you need to do to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on a personal basis, you you may not be the same type of person. You may have different social ideas of what's of what you like and what you don't like and maybe politics and this and that. But but at work it's all about it's all about work. It's all about having the same goal, the same idea, the same passion for what you're doing. And it's so refreshing when you can find those people who you know you can walk away for two weeks and not even think about it and come back and know that you've got the right people in place. Yeah to get the job done. And I am so fortunate from all aspects of the business that I don't have any problems stepping away for a two week trip. If I have to go do something or a vacation, how how, how long did it take you to get to that 
that I mean that's a the hardest thing for me, and I think maybe a lot of people might agree, is when you have your own company, is giving up control. Mm-hmm. And that's giving up control of a lot of different things. Giving up control of putting in bills into your QuickBooks or accounting system. Yeah. Giving up control of, of paying things. Giving up control of... The ordering of of your raw materials, giving all that stuff. It's so funny when you do it all, it's hard to give up that control because you're like, what if it's not done right? We were talking about control earlier. Yeah. You know, as uh, as the owner, how can I know it's going to be done? But was that easy for you? No, it sucked. It was horrible. (laughs) You just made it sound so easy. It it, it took my board of directors that basically said, Fritz, get out of the books, get somebody else to do it. You don't, we're not paying you Mm -hmm. to, to do this. Uh-huh. And I and that was one of the hardest things was not on a daily basis inputting bills because mm-hmm. I felt like if I do that I'm there's feeling a, it I'm feeling control. each bill I know what's going on you know this that and another so that was hard giving up giving up that type of control but once once you do it a few times and the people you give that control to do a really really good job. Yeah, it's really liberating. Freeing. Yeah, it really is. You talk about stress control. level being taken off your shoulders. Yeah. You got to have good people. You got to find. You got to have good people. How do you? How do you cultivate or find those good people? You know, it's funny. In the beginning, a lot of well, the people that are really kind of in control of their departments now, they all started as volunteers. Wow. And we've had a lot of people come through our to our 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 system. And that's kind of like when they're volunteers, it's almost like that's their internship. Mm-hmm. You get to know what they're like. You get to know what their work ethic is like. You get to know what their capabilities are in a lot yeah. of ways. So a lot of the people who are running our departments right now are people that started as volunteers. That is so interesting. And a lot of people, <laughs> and to be honest, a lot of people around town at other breweries were volunteers at our brewery who went through mm-hmm. our the whole thing and they... they and then they were they were teammates and and everything and then they went out and they found better opportunities and that's fine i've always sure. told um our staff that listen i'm i'm not someone here to put an employment contract in front of you uh non-compete that's not what i'm i'm all about i'm all about making sure you you can be the best person you can possibly be and if that means that we don't have that position available for you I will do my best to help you find that somewhere else yeah so I like to think of we're almost like a mentorship program I would never want to tell somebody you couldn't go to another brewery to help them or to work and expand your horizons Mm -hmm. because of an employment contract Mm -hmm. or a non-compete I think that's in a lot of ways, silly when you're talking about, you know, your your main production or main sales group of people. Mm-hmm. Because who knows? Those people may go there and work and you know what? Expand their horizons, become a better person, better, better skilled person, and then come back in a better capacity to help you back at my facility uh, working with us again. And we've yeah. had people come back. That's cool. That's cool. You know, so... Um, and I think that's all part of our culture too. Yeah. Yeah. So. This, this would be my last question. I think is what well, one thing that we haven't really hit on is, <laughs> and one thing that has come out several times as you're talking that has kind of struck me is you cre- created a culture, kind of hands-off approach. You said laid back. I would definitely agree with that. Um, 
community-driven, community-focused with your employees and your customers. But then also, I would say there is a huge component of generosity, selflessness, and just giving yeah. to people. And I don't know if you would even describe it that way. You know, I hear it that way. It, it is. You know, we our, our tagline, our mission statement, okay. whatever you want, our positioning statement is, you know, community or quality brewed, community strong, Texas, Texan proud. Yeah. And we have always been a, a, a family business wanting to give back to the community because the community has done so much for us. Yeah. Um, you know, especially like when the roof collapsed, we the community came out and really helped us through that eight months of hell trying to get a brewery back up and running. So we've always been focused on trying to give back as much as we can. Uh, we do it during our, our tours where, you know, our Wednesday tours were all about charity and giving money back to charity. We do events at debris, which are constantly driven. And it's not necessarily just one charity. We do lots of different charities, as many as we possibly can. People come to us saying, hey, can we do this at debris? We're like, absolutely. Yeah. So, Recently, my wife, Tara, and I have um, started a, a charity group called RAR to the Rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, Tara has been, over the years, heavily involved with dog rescue. And through my relationship with her, I have also become very passionate about dog rescue. It mm-hmm. just kills me to see a dog being abused or not being loved because mm-hmm. they're such a wonderful creature. So we started RAR to the Rescue, and we are out raising money to help give back to the rescue groups around town who are actually doing the physical dog rescues. And we've tied the brewery into it as well, because what's better than to have beer and to play with dogs? And, you know, it just seems very natural to me. So, uh, so we do a lot of that. We do a lot of other dog charities at the brewery. We do a lot of, uh, you know, childhood diabetes and lymphoma, cancer type things. So we do as much as we can to give back to the community that gives so much to us in a, in a, in a, in a, in a nutshell. Before I knew you personally. I, I have been to countless events and RAR was a sponsor. RAR yep. provided drinks. Yep. And, and just in our nonprofit work with that my wife does, like y'all have donated beer, y'all have donated kegs, y'all have, like... Always, always, always giving back. Yep. We, 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 we try not to ever say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I, there are times when we, we just can't. Yeah, you, but yeah. then we try to figure out a way to do something in the future for that for that group. I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, sponsored by donating the beer. It's like if it is something local to Fort Worth, I feel like your name is there. And I don't and, it, and like a lot of people are like, oh, they just do that for publicity. And it's like, no, man, if you know your team, if you know you. If you've spent any time at all, you know that is your heart of who you are. Yeah, it, I, 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 I think you're right. It yeah. is. It's really, it's really a part of what the brewery is all about. It's yes. really a part of who we as employees of the company are all about. Yeah. Happy to do it. I think one of the great things about Fort Worth is is that it is a very giving community. And uh, we're just happy to be a part of it, yeah. to be perfectly honest. So. Well, I, I think, I feel like y'all have lived out your mission. Like your mission statement you just said, like y- you guys have have changed the the shape of Fort Worth and making it more fun, like a more fun, more fun place to, to go out to eat yeah. and drink 
like you have made a product that we are proud of as a city. And I feel like you, you've helped foster community in our city, helped foster, foster fellowship in our city, and, and just have really been a part of just some big, big things. You know, in my mind, y'all, y'all are an institution. You've made our city. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. Mm -hmm. Honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you for doing what you do. This has been, it's been great. This is, this Thanks for dream. having me. Um, probably talked way too long, but I love talking about it. Yes. Talking about it's beer, so the brewery, good. the family. There's a lot to talk about. So and if, if people want to take a deeper dive, what's the website? www.rawbrewing.com. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh I think Snapchat. Even. I mean, all the stuff that the kids do today. I think I tried TikTok for a while, but yeah. you had a TikTok. I I do have. It's, I'm embarrassed, but yeah, I've got. I like, don't even have a TikTok. Yeah, yeah. What is uh, this? Yeah, I did when it first came out. I just because I wanted to know what it was about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I went around, did stupid videos in the office of people, and <laughs> I need to go check these out. Yeah, yeah. I should go check go out my TikTok you. page. And Rar the Rescue. How do we figure out? Find out about it's that. It's rartherescue.org. Okay. Okay. Um, and can I talk just really briefly about what it is? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. come on. Because one of the th- real things that we're doing is really cool. So uh, my wife, Tara, back in you know in years past, she started a lot of the Dallas uh, no-kill rescue, dog rescue groups, uh, you know, shelters over there. And um, we are raising money so we can donate money back to Places like Fort Worth Animal Care and Control, Saving Hope, mm-hmm. uh, Dog and Kitty City. The people who are actually taking in the animals and have all those expenses. We don't have any expenses. We're just trying to raise money gotcha. so we can give it back. Mm-hmm. So all of it goes right back to the, to these shelters. And, so And you're plugged in and connected to those. Yeah, luckily through through Tara, my wife, we we are because she has those connections, and we've got a great relationship here with Fort Worth Animal Care and Control. Cool. Just the other day, we we made over four hundred cupcakes for dogs, regular <laughs> size cupcakes. It took us all day to do it, but they were having a date night or a birthday party up at the North Campus for a dog adoption event. Wow, that's ah. cool. So, what we are doing, we are coming out with a line of beer called Rough Ale. Oh, really? You get it? Yeah. yeah Rough, hail. Like like R-U-F-F, I'm assuming. R-U-F-F. Okay, okay. And on the can, there's going to be six different cans with six different dogs on their picture on the can. And these are long-termers. These are yeah. dogs that have been at shelters for an exceptionally long time. Mm-hmm. Um and we're trying to get them adopted. So there's a QR code on the can, the dog pictures on it, a little description of what Rod of the Rescue is. And then when you scan the code, it takes you to the website and it shows you all the different long-term dogs and what they're about That's and cool. where they are, what group they're with in case somebody would like to go and adopt one of these long-termers. Wow, cool. It's just another avenue to bring awareness to people about the crazy crap that goes on yeah. in our world and how people abandon dogs and, and do, in my personal opinion, what a cool, what a cool horrible things. Beer. So yeah, to do that. So if it, so, we're coming out. It'll be sold at the brewery in cans. Okay. And um, 
the first style of beer that we're doing is a raspberry Berliner Weiss. Oh, so wow. it'll be really interesting, really cool. I'm a huge fan of Berliner Weisses. So I'm just gonna get. I have no idea what you have no idea what that is. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. <laughs> think of a think of a like a almost like a brute, brute champagne a little bit with some Ooh. with some fruit flavor in it. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, so so that's coming out, and all the proceeds from the sales of of this product okay. is going to be put back into donations to the various dog rescue wow. groups around town, yeah. and then we'll do another beer, different style of beer with six new dogs. And uh, and keep doing that. Keep bringing awareness to everybody about uh, you know. That's, that's cool. So awesome. Go 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 rescue this crazy little puppy that that needs to it would needs, be so needs to have a home. To see, to see that happen. To see yeah. to see what happens. With that. So it's a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, this is going to be aired probably in the future sometime. But tonight we have an event at the brewery for the dog rescue. Saturday or Sunday we're doing our Barktoberfest. Oh, nice. After our Oktoberfest, and it's all dog rescue. Bring your dogs to the brewery. Meet potentially new forever friends. See how they interact with your dogs, your family, your children. Yeah. Eat food, drink some beer. So yeah. I so like that's so that's what we're doing from a charity standpoint cool. for for Art of the Rescue. Thank you for letting me plug. Yeah. Plug that's that. It's here because and it, just, it's, uh, it ties in with everything we've talked about. It ties yeah. in with everything, and it's it's a lot of fun, and it's really it's it's important to us. Yeah. That's Chris, awesome. This is awesome. Thank you. This has been you really enjoyable. We're doing cool yeah. stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Well, man, thanks for coming on. You've got plenty of beer. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep drinking. Enjoy yourselves. Congratulations. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Stories with Soul. If you enjoyed the interview and like what you heard, please help us out and share, subscribe, and like anywhere you listen to podcasts. When you share and subscribe, it is insanely helpful and allows us to keep producing new episodes. You can always join us directly in the studio by watching the video version on our website, sixthavstorytelling.com. Stories with Soul is brought to you by Six Ave Storytelling, an organic marketing company building standout brands on the foundation of story. You're obsessed with your business and we want to make the world obsessed with it too. Thanks for listening.